Welcome to Little Things, your weekly friend meet cute with me, Coastly Cummings. It's cozy time. This is the first week two of my kids are in school full time. I could not be happier. My oldest goes to school in person two days a week and does virtual school the other three days, but hoping that will change in the next month or so. Right now, COVID cases in South Korea are around 400 a day total, and that's in the entire country of around 77 million people. That's a good example of how, just how strict Korea has been during COVID-19 and how seriously they're taking it. They get a lot of criticism for just how strict they are, but I'll say that businesses are open. Some are limited for capacity, but I feel safe and very few people are dying from COVID here and they're protecting the most vulnerable. So I'm happy to oblige with the mask mandate and limited group gatherings. Like you can't have more than four people together anywhere. No in-person church, no large events. The vaccine is here. Oh, I'm so happy about that. Spring is around the corner. I saw some little yellow flowers this morning on my walk, and I think summer is going to feel a lot more normal, and they will loosen things up once more people are vaccinated. Like many of you in the U.S. and other countries, I have family and friends getting getting the vaccine. In my home state of Utah, they've opened up vaccines for folks 50 and up and all those with chronic illness, and it is fantastic. My parents have received their first vaccine. My brother with Addison's disease has received his first dose. My type 1 diabetic sister and her husband have received their first doses, and my hub- brother, who is a healthcare worker in Virginia, received his first dose about a month ago. It feels like there's some hope and safety around the corner, and I feel so relieved and so grateful for all the people around the world who have stepped up and helped us feel safer this year. With that being said, I know there are some of you listening that have suffered tremendously from COVID-19. You've had it and recovered, or you're a long hauler, and maybe you have family and friends that have had it and suffered or are still recovering. And I know that some of you have even lost parents or grandparents or other loved ones to it. And I just want to say that I'm thinking of you and I'm so sorry for your loss. So every Saturday, my husband and I, we go on a date. And I know dates are usually at night, but I want to make a case for the day date because I love getting away during the day on the weekend. And these are the reasons why. It's easier, I think, to find a babysitter on a Saturday afternoon or late morning My kids can go to the park and play. I text friends to let them know that my kids will be at the park and to meet up if they want their kids to get out too. And I don't have to be there, but my kids can still get that social interaction. We, If we go out during the day on a Saturday, we can eat brunch or lunch together. Stores are more likely to be open. And there's a lot of people out and the sun is shining. It really feels luxurious to me to be out during the day, enjoying the sunshine when I'm typically busy during the week and inside. And if we go during the afternoon, we're home by early evening, which means our kids are ready for bed or in bed. And all we have to do is a short reading time and tuck them in and then they're down for the night. And then we still have the night to ourselves at home, which we absolutely love. Is there anything better than having a quiet, peaceful house when the kids are asleep, but it's still early enough that you're not exhausted? I don't think so. That's probably one of my favorite things. 
Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. I watch a lot of Korean dramas. I love them. Maybe you do too? I'm finally watching Crash Landing on You and loving it. I can't get over how much I love it. It's In my book, it's beating startup. And I didn't think I, anything could beat Dosan's earnest little face in startup. That being said, I love seeing the South Korean fashion in Crash Landing on You. If you haven't seen it, the main character is a beauty and fashion CEO in Seoul. And I don't want to give anything away. But we do get to see her style. And it is amazing. I love her coordinating miniskirt and blazer suit sets. Her hair is amazing. I love her oversized sweaters and jeans. She wears those gorgeous wool coats and boots. Her hair is like simple and kind of curled at the ends, but it's so shiny and healthy. And I can't rave enough about how much I love the simple makeup look. It, it looks like she has very little mascara on, some lip gloss, a light foundation, and done. But I'm sure in reality, there's probably highlighter, lip liner, eyebrow detailing, some, maybe even some contouring, Botox fillers, who knows. But I love the idea that it's a simple, minimal makeup look for this high fashion icon. Here in Seoul, I see a lot of girls wearing this oversized sweater trend. And so when I was on a date with my husband two weeks, weekends ago, we were in a boutique and they had a rack with some beautiful clothes. And I was so drawn to the thick knit sweaters. And there was a teal sweater that I loved. So I tried it on and it was definitely oversized. And when I came out of the fitting room and showed it to my husband and the shopkeeper, they were like, yes, that looks great. And I'm like, I asked, you know, is it is it too big? And they assured me that it wasn't. And the shopkeeper said, no, no, that's Hangul style. And I was like, oh, which means, uh, no, that's Korean style. So now I wear this sweater every day because I always rewear new clothes a million times after I buy them because I'm so excited and I never want to take it off. <laughs> There's been a lot of discussion lately about Dr. Seuss and um, being a race and him being a racist. And I want to talk about it. It's a mainstream, it's it's a hit mainstream media and news. And you've probably seen it on Instagram, on CNN, Fox, whatever. Here are my thoughts on it. I've always felt uncomfortable reading some of Dr. Seuss's books and his zoo book, for example. And I can't remember the name of the book, but the one where it rhymes like hand, hand, fingers, thumbs, the drum, drum one. <laughs> he illustrates you know, pictures of monkeys that are obviously racist. And to me, it seems it's not a stretch. It's very obvious. And we know as a historical fact that he was indeed racist. I, I've never loved Dr. Seuss. Um, I have a few stories I like from him. The Green Pants book and Mr. Brown Camus is fun. I could do without Cat in the Hat, Green Eggs and Ham, All the Places You'll Go and all that. I appreciate that his books are fun for kids to read that they encourage early literacy, that they are silly and fun for adults to read aloud to kids. However, there are hundreds, even thousands of fantastic children's book authors, literally thousands or more. And those authors don't have illustrations that mock children or friends of the children that are reading these books. They don't depict monkeys that make fun of people of color. They don't use racial stereotypes. And now that we know that Dr. Seuss the man and author was in fact racist, and he was, he knew that he was, and he stood by it, we do better. We frame it like my Angelou's taught us to, 
when we know better, we do better. And we don't buy Dr. Seuss books that are offensive. We stretch ourselves and practice sympathy if we aren't people of color. Or empathy if we are people of color and say, hey, there may be something hurtful here. Let's listen to others and choose other fantastic books for our kids. It helps me to think to myself, if I were a black mother, if I were Mexican, if I were African, if I were an immigrant, how would I feel? How can And I can never know, but I'm just trying to practice, trying to walk in someone else's shoes and trying to show compassion and ask myself, how would I feel if my babies were black or brown or Asian or mixed race? And they read a book that had supposedly funny kid pictures that were actually mocking who they were. That was somehow taking their ancestry or their people's painful history and turning it into a stereotype or trope for others to laugh at. I would be pissed. I would be angry. I would be hurt. And I wouldn't want that book in my house, in my kid's classroom, anywhere that I could help it. And I would want my friends and family to stand with me and say, hey, you know, we can do better. I can see that this hurts you. So I want to do better. I want you to feel safe too. I remember growing up wondering while watching cartoons or movies or reading books, why is everyone Caucasian? And then at the same time, can I say Caucasian? Can I say white? Can I say black? Like I didn't know if that was okay to say those words. Every Disney character was white that I saw on TV, on TV and movies, except if they were the villain. Most everyone around me was white, but not everyone was. And I noticed. And when I was young, there was talk of like, we don't see color, or we need to be colorblind. I was so confused about that. Because when you're on the playground, when you're in class, when you're a human, whether you're a kid or not, you see color. You see skin shade. You see eye color. You see disability or ability. You see limb differences. You notice stutters or social differences. You can see it and you, can, you can't pretend not to see it. Amy of This Little Miggy has taught me so much through her platforms about how being a mother of a child with limb differences, she wants her daughter to be treated with kindness, but not just kindness. She wants her daughter to be included, to be a friend, to be the friend, to be pulled into games, to be joked with, ask questions, to be a leader, not for people just to be nice, but to be real, to get to know her daughter as a person, not just for her wheelchair or her limb differences. I'm so grateful for the parents, advocates, child psychologists, researchers, authors, teenagers, every, everyone out there who is patiently teaching us all about race, racism with a little r, racism with a big r, class, economic disparity, systems of oppression, gun violence statistics, and vulnerable communities, all of it. And I know social media is so frustrating sometimes or tiring but I'm grateful for how it's democratized this information. It's no longer only experts speaking out. Everyone can have a voice. If you have a phone, you have a voice. A teenager can share their experience on TikTok with a meme. A mom can share her experience of raising biracial children on Instagram. We have op-eds, blogs, any number of ways for people to share their stories as long as you have an internet connection. The truth is we are hearing and sharing more stories than we ever have in the history of the world. It's humbling. 
it's overwhelming, it's embarrassing. Sometimes there is a cost in terms of social media. We don't really, <laughs> and we're going to get into like what data those companies are gathering or, you know, the, you know, all the social struggles with <laughs> social media. But I do think it's beautiful that we're able to see and hear from voices that have been silent or silenced in the past. And I'm really grateful for that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Little Things. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can hear about all the new episodes. And if you want to follow along a little more, hop on Instagram and follow me at Coastally Cummings. And you can also subscribe to my newsletter at coastally.substack.com.